make truth for liars, jaw hands, Martians, chasing bloody Martians. Tyler. We're here broadcasting on the Fringe FM initially. Thank you for joining me. The last guest we had on was author Brad Kelly of the Art of Darkness podcast. A very interesting deep dive into uh, dark historical biographies on artists that are now dead. Um, And we talked about writing and things, uh, metaphysics and whatnot. Uh, But, and that kind of wrapped up a, a month long session of madness where um, we're in, interviewing uh, Martin Ferretti was actually helping me interview some uh, very interesting people. So you go check out real quick uh, uh, Black Hoodie Alchemy episodes 14, 30, 32, 33, 34, and 35. Um, having a little bit of fun with it. And uh, you go check it out uh, for yourself. I won't get into too much of the details, but... Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and there's been a lot of people along for the ride, and I appreciate that because it was pretty left field, um, kind of stretching our legs and having a laugh a little bit. This week, we are keeping it a little more serious, always trippy, though. Um, I have a bit of an old friend now, uh, Mike Mazzy, co-host of the uh, Mind Escape podcast with his cousin, right, Maurice? Yeah, Maurice is my cousin. He's cool. on a little bit of a hiatus right now, but we'll be back next year. Cool, cool. Yeah, he's actually, which is, um, we'll get into that very shortly, but he is steeped in, uh, among other things, the documentary you guys are putting out that both Martin Ferretti and I um, have a little bit of uh, lines in, a little bit of interviews bits. So that'll be interesting. It's about uh, UFOs and the psychedelic experience. Um but Mike, your podcast, Mind Escape, you guys get into uh, UFOs a bit. You get into ancient history a bit. And I was thinking about it earlier and it just kind of came to me. It's like you you go into quite a bit, uh, quite a few different things. But the vibe of your show is almost like um, Indiana Jones 4, if it was good. Because that movie did not land very well, but like you I guys was say, man, thanks for comparing me to the worst Indiana Jones movie there is. No, no, no. It, it... <laughs> well, that's that's part of the fun of it, because you know I love you. But no, if that movie was fantastic, um, like the aesthetic that they that they dreamed that they um, would have achieved in that movie is actually what your show kind of is. It's like it's it's very archaeological but modern, and you guys. You're always, you know, looking into empirical sources and brain sciences and things. And you're talking uh, to people who have had UFO experiences or people who, um, you know, who are like doctors. You know, you've talked with uh, Dr. Rick Strassman many times, the 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 guy who first did clinical studies with uh, DMT. So 
you guys have been around a bit and it's very cool. And uh, um, yeah, I guess, you know, first off, welcome, buddy. Um, thank you for coming on the show. And um, yeah, where would you like to start? You know, in- introduce yourself a little bit. Oh, no, thanks for inviting me on. And uh, it's a pleasure. I'm glad to see you podcasting. I think it's a great it's a great medium for somebody like you, a philosopher, thinker, you know, something like that. And I think that it's nice to get uh, these conversations out there to more people and get other people thinking and less focused on stupid shit. So I can swear, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, oh, OK. Um, yeah, thank you. Amen to that. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, I, I obviously I met you through you being an author and everything. And I know I've seen you on other podcasts and stuff like that. Um, and you're, you know, the thing that struck me about you was you just had such kind of like an old soul in a way, not that you, you know, you're obviously fun and cool and all that kind of wonderful jazz, but <laughs> The way you think about these topics is not something a, a normal 20 or mid 20s person would even really think or talk about. So I think that that's what drew me to you the most was like, oh, here's this cool guy, you know, this younger guy, but he also knows a lot about all this stuff. Um, and for me, this is all new within like the last six years. I mean, previous to that, I was just playing in jam bands and into sports and just normal, typical, stupid guy stuff. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the podcasting stuff and the, um, I mean, I've always been into like psychedelics. I mean, I've been taking them since I was 15, started smoking herb when I was like 13, you know, so I've always been into this stuff. Um, but yeah, about six years ago is kind of when I really started to heavily get into it, start researching. Um, all the esoteric stuff, the ancient traditions. Um, and, you know, I was going through a spiritual awakening like five years ago when, when we put out our first uh, batch of episodes. And it was a very woo. I was into a lot of woo, uh, which is understandable. Um, if you've never really looked into a lot of the fringe topics, I think that there's obviously a ton of woo in the fringe. But if you don't know where to start or what's what, it gets kind of like, well, you just got to figure it out. Um, and that's kind of what I did. So now I'm kind of in this weird phase where I'm in between the academic stuff and also the fringe stuff. So I'm kind of, a um, a lost puppy in that regards. I don't really have a, a tribe right now. Um, you know, but I, I thrive when I'm kind of like my own Island too. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, I feel like I can relate to that for sure. Um, yeah, and it's uh it's best to I've always enjoyed not pigeonholing myself, you know. There's there's metaphysics on this show, there's true crime. And you guys you um talk about you focus on different things, but there's um uh, a whole lot of overlap and um you guys are always focused, you know, you're dabbling in different things and uh um I think that that's important you know, to because yeah, sorry. I yeah. totally didn't even answer your question, what our show is kind of about. So no, no uh, worries, man. <laughs> uh, basically, I mean, you hit the nail on the head somewhat. I would say we're look, these are the topics we discuss ancient civilizations, ancient knowledge. Um, we discuss psychedelics. We discuss philosophy of mind philosophy. I would actually say we are a philosophy podcast that investigates 
the mysteries of life. That's a good way to. So I take like an so I kind of just take an epistemological lens, or like do a a decent amount of research, cross reference things like what have humans written about on this topic and where's the source where was the original person talking about this when was that who were they um and i just try and go to the source of everything uh when we do episodes and i research that i start from the first inkling of whatever this idea concept invention whatever it is and then progress into kind of what we know about it today because i think that that's how people learn about stuff too um is through the evolutions and the progressions and um you know what you said we'll talk about ufos and again that's another topic i discuss i have actually we started a podcast uh, with my other buddy shane and toby toby works at the roswell daily press uh, which is the newspaper that first reported the roswell crash back um in uh, 47 um and shane is a, a, a veteran he was a um in the air force uh, so you know they have a different perspective on things so we're talking about ufos on that one that's called the roswell or the the uh the roswell ufo symposium is the name of that podcast we just started that we're only like 12 episodes in but yeah so mind escapes ufos ancient civilizations some people might think oh ancient alien type stuff no i'm actually against ancient aliens as an idea not that i'm so close-minded that i couldn't entertain it but i definitely don't think aliens built anything uh, on this planet. right if you would have asked me five years ago, I might have had a different or more open-minded approach to it. But from looking at like um, progression of pyramid builders, um, you know, like Sneferu from the Pyramid of Doom all the way to the Red Pyramid and just the progression. And then, you know, you look at what happened with the Great Pyramid and you can see, obviously, the stark differences and stuff like that. But that's just an example of like how. Back in the day, five years ago, six years ago, I would have thought, oh, well, we don't we have no idea who built this. So I guess that is a plausible explanation. But I mean, I'm very against that now, knowing what I know. But yeah, I mean, that's just part of our podcast, too, is learning and growing and um, just righting the wrongs. There's episodes I cringe, uh, (laughs) you know, pop up or something when I'm editing from like you know the first 50 episodes or something and it's just i don't know i'm sure you'll figure that out too once you get a few years deep we've been doing it for five years now and um my philosophies and views on things have dramatically changed over that amount of time but that i mean i expected that with the amount of research and time that i put into it so yeah that's the best way to do it and i think that um uh the fellow researchers uh, listening to this show um, and people just in general, but I mean, especially people in this community, I think the real heads out there, they appreciate that openness. Um, You know, it's uh, it's if you're, if you're, if you got your eyes peeled, it's all the more unsettling when someone's too rigid. So um, yeah, we're not, we're not there to blow. That's the one thing I, I will always stick to is like integrity. Like we're not there to blow smoke up anybody's ass or, you know, and, and I'm not going to call anybody specifically out, but there's a lot of people in the fringe communities that use the gullibility of people that don't have the time or the um, maybe the, the resources to do all this research. So uh, they'll say the craziest thing possible or a version of, Let's say something's popular in the news. Oh, this is going to happen. And then they'll spin it 
um, or they'll find like bones of an ancient person, then they'll spin it and they'll just keep finding these like niche things to promote that will get people's attention. You know, one one example would be the recot structure, uh, the eye of the Sahara, which I see people just totally going gaga over for to be Atlantis and everything. And and that's fine, you know, like that's a fun thought experiment, but that in no way is Atlantis. If you've ever really looked into the Timaeus and the Critaeus, mm-hmm. understand stadia measurements of the ancient world, and then also like it was most likely an allegory, like Plato's allegory of the cave, except this was an allegory for what happens to humanity. What, you know, when we we have too much hubris, almost like where we are now. If we got wiped out by a super volcano or a hurricane or a tsunami or whatever, it would that would be like the precipice for like writing in Atlantis uh, within his dialogues. And most of his dialogues are made up because Socrates didn't even live during the times of most of the people that are in the dialogue. So again, it's just a it's it's, it's a matter of doing research and then being able to rule simple things out based on doing that research. And I just don't see a lot of that critical thinking and critical. I don't even know. Again, it's not to disparage anybody. I'm just saying like, you got to be careful because there's a lot of sensational ideas out there that are fun that actually have no bearing in reality. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One good example of that, I feel like is, um, the uh, the liberal use of hypnotherapy. Um, I think hypnotherapy is useful and beneficial, and it can even be useful in fringe settings. But it's not. It's more um, in the realm of suggestibility than it is uncovering deep hidden truths. And you know, in a, in a sort of dream logic sense, you can probably uh, garner some useful like therapy from it. But in terms of uh, gleaning any empirical data um it's it's going to be a, a far cry so uh and you know i don't honestly know how much that's used in the ufo community these days i know it's still around but as we both know like historically speaking that was a heavy crutch uh for for uh, uh ufo investigation of uh experiencers and so forth that and like polygraphs and those are equally they, they're useful instruments of a, a polygraph but it's not strictly speaking a lie detector test it's more like a you know a stress detector yeah so. i mean i would have here's the thing um i would have agreed that first of all i've done hypnotherapy i have ocd so um at one point i was trying everything i could to minimize my ocd and that was one of the things i tried you know one lady i went to a little too woo with mm. crystals and chakras and whatever. <laughs> and I have nothing against that, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm open if it works, it did not work. Um, mm-hmm. And what else, you know, I've done, I went to other people. It just wasn't, just wasn't working. Um, but I'm, I don't know if I'm one of those suggestible people that like, I think there's, they say like a certain amount of people um, can be hypnotized and then there's like another portion that aren't suggestible enough to get into that kind of a state but i meditate i've done altered states and psychedelics a lot in my life so it's like i don't know what to think about that maybe i just haven't met the right person or anything like that but to your point about the hypnotherapy with like ufos and stories like that i would agree that um 
now it's considered oh they did hypnotherapy oh it's bullshit then that's what somebody would say within the ufo community that like you know things are hat shit or something but to that point i just read uh, chaos have you read that about uh, mk ultra charles manson murders no but uh, I'm, I'm well aware it sounds fascinating dude you got to read that book it's 100 up your alley yeah um the the stud the testing that they were doing on people first of all they took a rat studies on lsd and suggestibility um they would first dose them with lsd and then they would try and then they you know, slowly um you know transitioned over to stimulants and then the rats and the mice would get like kind of aggressive and you actually saw that play out in the hippie population where um a lot of people started off doing lsd or acid you know in the hate ashbury from you know 65 66 all the way to 69 or whatever mm-hmm. 70 um what they were doing is the hippies would start off with acid and then they would move to speed like that thing and the guy that was running the hate ashbury free clinic who they think three of these guys the one guy jolly west this other person um smith there there was two smiths there was jolly west and two guys with the last name smith who weren't related they just both had the one of them was like charles manson's handler and then the other guy was just like a pharmacologist and the pharmacologist had known about all these studies with the rats with the lsd and the the speed and all that kind of stuff so it's like it's almost like this was playing out on like a a macro scale um, this experiment so i mean i'm just to the point of suggestibility and stuff like that humans are just suggestible in general, but you start adding like LSD and altered states into it. Yeah. You can implant ideas 100%. I I wouldn't even question that. So. Yeah. Well, well said. Yeah. And interesting tidbit there, because that is uh, something on my list. I've been really meaning to go down that rabbit hole Uh, because I know people like uh, Dave McGowan, like, you know, old hard nosed conspiracy theorists from the nineties who, still holds up for the most part i don't think i've read anything um that it doesn't hold he was one of the few guys that he went into outlandish topics but he kept it empirical um i remember back in the day he was talking about um manson cia possibilities and uh he was also talking about like epstein and stuff in some cases he was quite ahead of his time so to see now a thick book yeah the chaos thing though but to what your point is about the um being uh charles manson being cia so charles hansen or charles hansen charles manson (laughs) charles manson was let out of first of all earlier in his life he'd gone to prison but he wasn't like let out or anything like that but then after he came into the you know i don't know this guy took over his case or whatever this i think it's roger smith i'd have to look at my notes but anyways this guy became his handler and then he was starting to be like let out regularly and somehow ended up with tons of acid and um, right. Good point. Because so that is not to say that Charles Manson was a CIA agent uh, per se, but there's like interesting like. Oh, no, no. He would have been like shoot connections. He, he would have been like, like I said, like an experiment, like the right. The, right. The you know how they did like Midnight Climax and uh, yeah. Yeah, the ones where they were really creepy, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When they would dose Johns and watch them, you know, bang prostitutes. So like. During the in the book, it talks about the guy behind the two way mirror and he's mixing martinis with a cooler next to him while he's watching all of this go down. It's like stuff like that is just crazy. It's just um, 
Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I forgot I, I, about that. Yeah, yeah. Wild stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um where where before yeah, I mean oh, sorry. Go we, we, I think we, I don't, No, I was just talking about um I don't even know, man. I think we were talking about like UFOs for a second. That was a that was a fascinating rabbit hole. Um yeah. to, but just to speak to people's suggestibility and things, I do want to backtrack a little bit um to the 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 ufo itself um because i do want to talk about that documentary a little bit and i do think that um i'm glad to hear that uh hypnotherapy is um you know not used so liberally uh these days in ufology but i also feel like and i guess this is just the constant infighting in in ufology but uh um there has, you know, there's been so much lore built up about the UFO and what we consider ufology. And, you know, not only do you n- never really know who's telling the truth in some cases, but uh, um, you don't know, like, you know, parsing through how the data was even collected is something oftentimes people don't do because they just take certain cases like, um, like Roswell and whatever else, like the the boilerplate um ufo checkpoints in that you that you check off and um um i don't really know where i stand on any specific story these days and so let's start with this because i've had like one uh ufo i've you know it's been brought up with certain guests but i had one ufo podcast where i kind of hashed it out and you and I um, have talked about these things before, but it's been a little bit. And, um, you know, I'd really like to hear your point of view in general, because here's the other thing. You've always been interviewing me, so I've never gotten to ask you these questions, which is kind of fun. Like, where exactly do you draw the line with looking into I mean, shit, I, we've been seeing headlines of them shooting down UFOs, you know, in Alaska, and there's there's Chinese weather balloons and whatever the fuck else going on. So like what's going on these days and what's up with the documentary uh, investigating the psychedelic angle to all this and how have you been untangling all this? Okay. A lot to unpack there. Oh yeah, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So you're asking about the current news with the weather balloons and the Chinese spy balloons and whatever. So obviously the first one was a balloon. We, We saw it. You know, we, it looked, you know what it looked like? It looked like a balloon with like a mini satellite hanging off the bottom of it, didn't it? Um, yeah, it was weird. <clears throat> I don't know if those were solar panels or what that was, um, but, or maybe fins to guide it. I don't know. Um, anyways, the other ones, there's other, four other ones they shot down, including, you know, a lot of activity in my neck of the woods where I grew up, which is Michigan, over Lake Michigan, parts of Michigan, and then Lake Huron is where they shot down the one thing that they haven't been able to recover um so what do i think about all that i don't know um i wish i had a good answer from everybody i talked to the ufo people aren't really hanging their hat on it because it happened so quickly you had the balloon and then there's another object another object another object another now they're saying that the other four things are objects they're not balloons but Again, they don't have them in their possession, so who knows? Um, who knows if they actually have them? Who knows if it's something crazy, spy novel, spy equipment that they don't want anybody to know? I mean, then it, it could also be something even weirder that they don't even know about. I don't know. Um, 
in terms of let's see here so here's here's why all this activity that i do know um some of the military people pointed out that they recently upgraded the norad um, radar systems and the different radar systems so now it's picking up stuff at a slower um, rate of travel and different like um, altitudes and things like that like they they kind of filled in the gaps so now they're seeing things that they weren't seeing before like balloons and who knows could it be space garbage i mean have you ever seen the picture of the space garbage oh know, yeah orbiting, orbiting the earth yeah. does that ever come back down i don't know but if it does you know it could be something um so yeah, that's kind of where I stand on that. I don't know. I know that we again we we changed our radar system, so now maybe we'll see more activity, more things picked up. Maybe we'll start seeing weird things. I don't know. Um, but so that's that in terms of where I stand with UFOs in general. So two years ago, before okay, I'll just tell the story first. Two years ago, my father and I, my my wife and I, during the pandemic, we hadn't really been to many places. My dad lived nearby. So we went over there just to have dinner with him and my stepmom. And we're I walk out in the back um, and I'm talking with my dad and my wife's facing us and we're both facing her and we're looking out over his back fence towards the general direction of O'Hare Airport, not necessarily near O'Hare Airport in Chicago, but just in that general direction. Um, so we're hanging out, we're looking, all of a sudden we both see this like orange thing like hanging in the sky, but like moving a little bit. We're like, what is that? Um, I kept watching it for a couple minutes, just kept floating around. It was just this orange light. And I'm thinking, you know, it was kind of twilight out. Could it be the light reflecting off of, you know, something or a balloon or a star, an extra bright star? Like what's going on? Uh, this thing kept getting closer and closer and then moving. And then I pulled up my phone to see like what star cluster it was. And it was in the Scorpio star cluster. Uh, but by the time I picked up my phone, you would have thought it was, <laughs> I was going to take a picture, but dumb me, I didn't. I, I picked <laughs> it up to look to see if it was a star or a planet. I knew it wasn't like Mars or Venus. I know what those look like and where those were in the sky. They were off to the left, but um. So anyways, so by the time I had pulled this thing up to look up in the sky, my dad and I saw this thing just dart off like super fast. Like, so it was just hanging there and then all of a sudden it just darts off fast. So I don't know. I don't know what that was. It was like an orb. The rest of the night, we both just kept saying how weird it was. We didn't, we weren't like, oh, it was alien or, you know, it wasn't, but we were just both like, that's weird. That was just so weird. Um, So yeah, that was, so based on that, um and a couple other psychedelic experiences with like entities and stuff like that not i i am under the guise that there is a realm of things that are unseen to our pattern recognition or our built-in pareidolia um part of our mind uh pattern recognition that we can't normally see um and that when you know, maybe we have these moments for whatever reason we get a glimpse, whether it's an altered state or just some moment, maybe that thing pops in and out of some sort of spectrum, you know, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so that's where I stand on it. There is weirdness out there. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to, I don't, the probability that there's extraterrestrial life out there is obviously certain based on the fact that we exist and the it's a mathematical probability. Um, unless, 
you know, we some weird, weird random event happened cosmically that created us that is just such a small percentage. I don't see that happening, but let's just say that's the case. Yeah, I mean, that sucks. Then we're some sort of cosmic accident, but I don't believe that. Based on what I know and my experiences, I don't believe that to be the case. So, yeah. Um, I, this was this orb you saw was very high up in the sky, like, like classic, like, no, star. it was like, um, I want to say it was probably like 40 degrees off the horizon. So it wasn't that. Oh, okay. Tall. Um, but it was kind of close, not like in altitude per se, because I don't know how far it was up or down, but you know, it was just in like kind of that like sweet spot range where you're like, that could be anything. But then when it moved that way and like darted off like that, that's where like, that's weird. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, let's, uh, whenever they get orbish like that, it, it always starts to sound and this is not any sort of definitive answer, but it just shows like then that Jacques Vallée kind of sense where the lines blur. Um, it almost sounds like like it starts to bleed into the paranormal, like it could be like those will o' the wisps type thing too. Like there there is just strange stuff going on, and who knows? And you know, like the I things mean, it could I've have seen... been a plasma or a plasmoid or something like that's very possible. I mean, and I was so in that area. I mean, you have O'Hare which they had that famous UFO case in 2006 and some Mothman sightings in tons of moth years. dude. Yeah. <laughs> dude I, I, that's a whole, I don't want to get into that, but I was at a, <laughs> I was at a fish show and I took about 300 milligrams of Molly, nice. which is a lot. Um, <laughs> and I don't recommend that dosage, but anyways, <laughs> um, so there was weirdness that night. And I actually, one of the only shows I've ever left uh, early. And then when I got home, I was just laying in bed and I've never had visuals from uh, MDMA and I was just sitting there and there was these translucent uh, jellyfish conveying like telepathic messages to me. I was like, what the hell is going on? But my point was <laughs> on, the, on the way home, there was this like weird, dark, ominous feeling. And I actually had that feeling at the show too. And usually psychedelics, I don't get that kind of a vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, even though MDMA is not really a classic psychedelic, I would still consider it psychedelic based on my experiences. Um, anyways, that night it was ominous. And literally the next day I saw a report of this guy by the casino seeing this winged humanoid, this dark humanoid. This guy was completely sober. He was a valet guy just working. And he just saw this thing just like shoot up into the sky, almost like Jeepers (laughs) Creepers or some shit. So, wow. uh, Yeah. So, and I'm not, I'm not like a big ghost or paranormal. I'm not against any of that. I just don't really like study it, but I do know about Mothman. I've read Mothman prophecies. I've read most of John Keel's books. So, um, yeah, and whoever listening that hasn't read John Keel's books, um, there he's a he's a fourteen a classic for a reason. Those are some wild stories. And if you want to know UFOs, the best one is Operation Trojan Horse. You'll learn most of what you need. Even though that was from nineteen seventy, there's relevant shit in there that makes sense today. So. Yeah, yeah, his stuff still holds up. Like even when, even if uh. Uh, like a case study or something could seem out of dated or out of date it's still the methodology of it and like it just fits into the framework very well and holds up as a great example i always enjoy keel's work
Yo, I pack the mental and fix possession. That's wicked X possession. Caps you guessing. Dispatch a flitz, contextual listen. So it's beast you lesson. Your beast redemption. I flap it, fritz it, and prep your business. You just a fast for the best you stress, and I leave you shrekin'. Vertically spoke, please, and cap your manimal nest blow. To fictionally go via your tans and teeth, those saddles, clizz low. I rattle the hills, going with rattles, did a riddle, your show she. You physically go deep, expanded like we fathomable crystals. Infillable muck sips, blinded by them larynx, you fix what? That shatters for bitch, yeah. It's daddy ass, that ignorance, kids. The gug zip, confused that the scrabbles hit you, confess you. You rotten, nicked it with hook stacks like crebbles, dents in the test tube. So man, poop, cause it ain't gon' hippin'. You're the rips, you flappin', make you think you trippin'. But if it you trappin', when your laps is flippin', and your ick is slappin', and the cactus slippin', cause the trick is cackin', and I'm spattin', and I'm just spinning it like this, we're rappin'. Is it a nick the faction? Is it a midget tracked I'm a trappin', a ribbon instead of a hit, we're rippin', or I'm actually gaffed but it's jam a cryptic, but the big one's dashin', my definitive fictions that I hit to scratch it with a sack of friction, Aggie. Yeah. So what do these words mean? What's dope, man? Like, my brand new Mercedes Benz out there. I call you like hard dope. No, this isn't a foreign language. It's just street jargon. Tell them it's to cool out. Everybody know it's cool. Everyone has their own language, you know. West Coast, East Coast. Have their own style of language. Yo, I put your mental in the vex position. This wicked exposition keeps you guessing. The speech of flex could teach you lessons. So it's best you listen. Your best rendition. I flip it fresher than prepubescence. You just the feeds for the beast you stress. And I left you stricken. Radically spit flow to give you minimal nosebleeds. If you actually give your attention to these syllables closely, you fiddle the whole scheme. With riddles that are rad your shit show. Emphatically get dope. And spin it like refillable proceeds. Infallible mix ups. Blended with them lyrics you fucks with. This shit is robust. Bust yet, it's deadly as diagonal wrist cuts The gig's up, confess dude, these cripples had you confused yet You reenacted with hex dudes like cripples dancing to two steps So move back, cause it ain't gon' happen Do the raps you flipping, make you think you trapping But in fact you tripping, when your lips is flapping And your act is slipping, and the kicks are slapping Cause the track is kicking, and I'm spitting And I'm just running it like last when ripping Is it an act of fiction, is it a magic trick then? Am I gripping, a rabbit inside of a hat with rapping Or am I actually gifted, for this gem I'm crafted For the backwards diction, my definitive actions that I had to Switch it with a sick abstraction, nigga. Yeah. Syllable makes up. Deadly gas a critical risk. Cut. What? What? Now go back to the first verse and try to figure that shit out, son. Hello everybody, this is dang old uh, Tippy Patson here from um, the Black Hoodie Alchemy episodes. I, I'm just, uh, we're trying to get a whole bunch of different people um, down to the Everglades where we formed our little uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you know, so we can uh, figure out animal telepathy and we can wrestle Illuminati gators and make gator nuggets and uh, we can, um, you know, stop the harvest of adrenochromy and we can smoke a whole lot of catnip and do and basically save humankind so you know if you want to hear the black hoodie alchemy episodes uh where me and my crew the league of extraordinary gentlemen are uh um telling you know bringing our message just check out black hoodie alchemy episodes 14 30 32 33 34 35 
and 38. Now, just remember, Tip Hip Hatchin wants you to come down to the Florida Everglades and help him save the world from the Illuminati alligators. Uh, but there will be no animal winking off. Uh, don't, we don't do that here anymore, okay? Well, we're just gonna be wrestling them. No, no other, no bad touches. Alright, come down to the Everglades. Take care. Bye. Listen, as we explore the mysteries of the universe, the unknown, high strangeness, consciousness, and our human potential, Lighting the Void is an eclectic program that strives to ignite the late night with stimulating conversations. Join us on The Fringe FM. Musicians experience a lot of frustration with music marketing and promotion. They have no idea how to get their music heard, and they're spending hours sending emails, making phone calls, and hitting up their friends to promote them. With our industry-powered digital marketing platform, we can set up your media plan in minutes. Our team will automatically distribute your music across all the best channels, so you can focus on actually making the music. Submit your music today on our website at mymusicpromoter.com. That's mymusicpromoter.com. So you don't think, just to clarify, because uh, it's always an interesting subject to sort of parse through, you don't think that these things are uh, technology from other planets, although you hold out the theoretical possibility? Yeah, uh, okay, I'll say this. I'm open to anything. I haven't seen anything convincing one way or another yet, but I've seen my own stuff. I've, here's the thing. You know the documentary you told me to let's talk about the documentary. Yeah, so, right. Doc, let's no, 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 but it. but the documentary As Within So Without, this is the name, As Within So Without, from UFOs to DMT. Um, and obviously I got the inspiration from the second half of um As Above, So Below. You know, that's the mm -hmm. first part of that saying. Um, but this has to do with like the internal um aspects, the consciousness aspect. People want to fight about, oh, are they, because we're talking about like nuts and bolts, right? You want to ask if there's physical graph, nuts and bolts versus consciousness. And one of, there's a camp that believes it's all consciousness based. And there's a, there's a camp that believes it's all physical stuff. Like um, you're saying aliens from a different planet or whatever. I would say that that's not even the argument. I would say the argument is not consciousness versus materialism i would say it's actually consciousness versus illusionism and illusionism is the idea that we don't even have conscience consciousness um it's the idea that um this awareness or perception is just a byproduct of biological life and it's almost like an illusion that we have this 
universe that's built into our mind, basically. So I would say that it's either that's not the case and we do have consciousness and um, all these things that people are experiencing are some sort of product of that. Um, I, from, from talking with enough people, reading enough UFO books, there's obviously fakers and liars. There's people that tell stories for attention or they have mental problems or whatever. Um, and then you have intelligent people that I've met that are just, you know, regular people that, um, Hey, I read a bunch of books and I believe this. And, uh, it's through talking with some of the more intelligent people that I know and realizing, Oh, they believe in this too, or, Oh, they think that this is possible. Um, you start to get the sense that this is more than just a phenomenon of like crazy people that wear tinfoil hats. This phenomenon has affected many, many people, people in the military, uh, people that have done psychedelics, people that live out West in the desert and see crazy shit all the time. People that, you know, so like there's a whole range of people that have experienced this. So it's not just like a one type of a person or whatever. It's a, it's a whole spectrum. And through, that idea i wanted to know what about the mind is this is this a physical phenomenon or can it take physical shape or is this a product of the mind not that it wouldn't make it real meaning that if it is a product of the mind let's say ufos are some we could go carl young on this let's say the the flying saucer represents um it's a it's a symbol or a placeholder for something else that we can't perceive yet be, mm -hmm. whether it be our perceptions or our eyes or our brains can't process what we're actually looking at or maybe the ufo is just a piece of some other technology that's in more dimensions than we can perceive or something along those lines right so like you could say that almost like the ufo itself is like the passport to magonia cover where it's just taking on a form um, or we're perceiving that form as a, some sort of symbol or placeholder. And mind you, if you read Carl Jung's book on UFOs, which was his last book, he talks about like a some sort of like, it's like a product or symbol of some sort of collective anxiety at the time with like, you know, war and this and that and uh, existential threat. And what are what's happening right now? We have the same thing going on right now in our society where people are just freaking out. <laughs> people are just losing their fucking minds. For um, sure. And in that, we're seeing crazy shit again. Balloons and our oh no, they're not balloons. And you know, so it's it's the same things like history is repeating itself right now in front of our eyes. Um, and I think there's a certain amount of people that recognize that and are trying to navigate around that, but then um here we are. So we just, we have to figure it out. It's like a, a code or a riddle, you know, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's not something I expect to find the answers to, but um, that doesn't mean I won't ask the questions either way. Um, you said I, something, hold on. You said something in your documentary part, and I don't want to ruin it, but you said something that like touched my fucking soul and just made all the sense in the world. Oh man, uh, you, I appreciate that. You said you said UFOs are a flying dream. And I dude, that's like if I <laughs> could explain a UFO to somebody, like that's how I would that was perfect. That was exactly what it's like. Nice. Well, yeah, thank you, man. I'm glad uh I'm glad that I could articulate that. I mean, that's like the 
that's the only way. Here's the thing is I'm not opposed to the nuts and bolts idea either, but it can't at this point, when you look into what's the, when, when you look into so many things, you can look at like both angles and, and then you can sort of, you know, weigh them out and parse through things. You look into the, um, you look into both of these camps here um, and there's just not enough evidence one way or the other. But what I do know is I don't trust, you know, government insiders and things like that. And in many cases, all you can do is at the very least trust your own experiences or at least take them for what they are. And I know, like you said, from talking with so many different people, reasonable people who have been affected by these kinds of things, it seems that you can't discount the angle of the union, for lack of better term, because I think that if there is a consciousness angle to it, a synchronistic sort of angle to it, then there might be more to it. But the the bare bones of it, I think, I think Jung lays out very well. But um, yeah, I mean, Jung leaves it ambiguous too. He doesn't say right. they're physical. He doesn't say they're non-physical. He's just saying that it's a symbol or some sort of collective symbol of our collective unconscious of the times and stuff like that. So it's like, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where um, it's just going to take time. Unfortunately, I've been going back to this quote a lot lately, and it just makes all the sense in the world. And it's that uh, it's called it's um, time is the wisest counselor. Pericles. Hmm. And, and it's true because mm-hmm. if you give anything the right amount of time, you have a better understanding or it just sorts itself out. So. Yeah, yeah, and time will tell. Um, but yeah, if the if there is a nuts and bolts angle, it's just it's going to have to have a really interesting explanation um, as to how this this weird consciousness angle is particularly involved. Um, uh, and like because it could be both, I guess there could be like this. Well, this... that's one of the hypotheses is that there's technology that's only controlled with consciousness. Yeah, I was I was kind of getting there like I'm sure there's many different ways to slice that pie, but I I like the idea uh like the 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 science fictionist-esque kind of idea that since there seems to be some sort of dream logic to these things which locks into the the psychedelic or mystical mentality um you know, a la Valet or Keel, uh, and there's technology involved, then it almost seems like um, the technology is piggybacking, like almost like in some interstellar way, like they're they're just traveling through the collective consciousness with whatever UFOs they've developed. You know, just ch- the time space traveling the 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 psychedelic time space the, that a consciousness is probably intertwined with, like yeah. I don't know, man. There's it, a lot of cool ideas. Hard I mean, to like parse through the. T- I like the time travel aspect of it. Like that's a cool one. We've too. had Doctor Michael Masters on, who wrote the book "Identified Falling Object," and then he just has a more recent one called uh, "The Extra Tempestrial Model." Um, and the idea is that basically grays are us from the future, and UFOs are the time machines. Um, and that's not a completely new idea. It's been written in science fiction and speculation for a long time but he goes into like you know he's a 
what is he? He's a, a biological anthropologist from Montana Tech. He's a professor. So this isn't just like a, somebody randomly interested just writing this stuff. This is somebody that studies like, um, you know, early hominid bones and stuff like that, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, I can totally see that given like space travel and um, we know space travel um, diminishes bone um, and stuff like that. I could totally see if we evolved in space ending up kind of looking like a gray maybe, but yeah, I, I mean, the whole thing's weird. There are so many different theories now because the UFO topic itself, um, everybody has their different ideas and speculations. There's also a majority. There's a, I would say that there's not a majority, but there's a certain amount of people that are also just trying to make money um, off the topic, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely serious people studying stuff, though, now, which is interesting. But, yeah, I mean, to answer your point, I wouldn't consider myself a ufologist. I would just consider myself an observer of UFO Twitter that likes to talk about the topic from a philosophical standpoint, but also, um, you know, I, I don't know. I've, I've tried to, to chop it up as much with some of the people and some of the people are just very dogmatic in what they believe. And there's just no middle ground there, you know, so it's hard to have, um, open conversations with some people, but I don't know. That's why I started that podcast, the Roswell UFO Symposium, with my buddy uh, Shane. Um, you could follow him on Twitter at Old Vet Symposium, uh, or my buddy Toby at RDR Incident on Twitter. And you know, Toby works at the Roswell Daily Press, so he has like old. He's trying to do a lot of stuff. They're putting out these articles now uh, because of everything that's going on. He's been finding like a lot of cool old articles on stuff and things that relate and they're doing a lot of cool journalistic style stuff. He's not like a true journalist either. So it's kind of a cool thing that they're working on, but yeah, I don't know. I like, I like, um, I like the community. I think there is a community there. I just think that the, I want to be right. Or I, I know I'm right. Kind of a thing is just, it's, it's, I mean, I guess it bleeds into everything, but. Yeah, yeah, but it's very man. It gets uh, real um, catty, uh, especially on uh, something like UFO Twitter sometimes. But uh, um, so without tripping and falling too far down this rabbit hole, I can't help but ask, um, what what's up with Roswell for you? The story. Where do you land on that? Is it just like a fun lore story where you don't know, or do you have an opinion on it, or what? Well, there's actually go read, <laughs> go follow those two guys, my buddies that I do that podcast with. They're actually my good friends too, but go follow them. They're, they're just released an article on kind of what you're talking about, but also oh, cool. um, for me personally with the Roswell thing, there's a couple different avenues from looking into it myself. There's no doubt something crashed there. There was something you could go, I don't know if you're familiar, but there's this uh, author, Annie Jacobson, who's wrote, wrote and written, excuse me, <laughs> uh, quite a few books on the topic. Um, Area 51. Um, what was the other? The uh, Operation Paperclip. Um, you know, she's written about all that kind of stuff and like the CIA type stuff and remote viewing and UFO and all that kind of stuff. Anyways she talked to somebody who was part of 
supposedly that that program who on his deathbed said that um they were uh cosmetically altered children uh to make look like that and that they were in a crashed uh spacecraft um because we had brought in all those scientists um over from uh, germany the nazi scientists obviously werner von braun and all those people i mean if you read operation paperclip she goes into depth about who we brought over who they were and the, the the world war ii and like all the fucked up shit that they've done um but anyways so that's one of the speculations on that deathbed that guy told her that and that um yeah they it they, was cosmetically altered children yeah like a psyop type scenario Got, then okay there's a version of that story and i just want to clarify there's a version of that story that russia did it to us that russia mm. um because of the the cold war the 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 war the on technology that started to heat up after the nuclear um bomb um and the manhattan project um so there, one of the stories is that the russians did it because um stalin Stalin wanted to fuck with us. Um, and he thought since we were like, she uses the logic in her book that because of like war of the worlds and um, Orson Welles and, you know, all these movies of them, us getting attacked and people freaking out in the battle of Los Angeles and the, mm-hmm. that the heat they, they felt like Russia, that that was how they were going to hit us back was, um, through some sort of psychological thing like that. And then I've had, I've talked to other people that actually think it might have been Japan to get back at us mm. and that Japan was actually super advanced at like surgery and in, in biology at that point, like way more advanced than most nations. Yeah, like unit seven something, seven, 731 or 41, they yeah. did all these like uh, uh, post-World War II, it was like Nazi level experimentation. They went far with genetic research that's for sure right so there's those speculations um on the other hand now less of the skepticism yeah i mean from people that i talk to that are in the know there's more information to be divulged about um roswell and there's more sites there too um in that area um so yeah i don't know what to believe so (laughs) very interesting uh very yeah, I mean, I'm actually, I can't now. I was supposed to be because our, our, our documentary is premiering March 10th through 12th at the Roswell U- UFO Expo. Um, <laughs> you can get nice. tickets at the um, ufoexpo.com. Uh, I can't go now. I was going to go and speak. I'm going to speak virtually now. But um, so, yeah, my buddies are going there. They're going to check out that site. Um, Very cool. Obviously, it's historic and everything. And, um, and then we're also doing a film festival there. If you've if you know any film festival uh filmmakers or you're a filmmaker yourself or somebody wants to get in touch with us uh my buddy toby's running a film festival it's called the roswell incident uh and that runs uh july was it june 30th through july 2nd and um as within so without from ufos to dmt is going to play there as well but Uh, I'm not trying to plug. I'm just saying like that's if anybody's interested in Roswell, you can go there. There'll be speakers and people that know what the hell's going on and stuff like that there. So, yeah. And uh, before we um, get into some more ancient history and stuff, um, 
who all who are some of the names um of people that are going to be in the documentary is rick strassman's going to be in there isn't he so rick strassman's so yeah so we have a, a mix there's there's scientists and um you know people that have their doctorate degree and then there's people there's researchers but then there's also a lot of experiencers and then on top of that i have a bunch of like psychedelic people too so we have uh for the ufo stuff we have dr gregory little who's written many books on the topic he also writes on like ancient stuff too if you follow him on twitter he actually posts mostly about like ancient native american burial mounds and yeah he's a um, good source effigy pipes and all that kind of stuff but he knows a ton about ufos um, he used to be in like Edgar Casey's ARE. Uh, I think his wife might have like run it or something like that. Anyways, really? wow. uh, who else? We have Dr. Michael Masters, that guy that I was just talking about, that uh, anthropologist. Uh, Soraya, you know Soraya from Where Did the Road Go? Oh, yeah. Good company. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's, you know, that was the other thing is I have people that are somewhat skeptical. And then I have people that are like kind of complete believer types you know so i don't i didn't you know i wasn't like uh partial i'm not trying to the documentary is not trying to be objective like for sure aliens exist or for sure it's just let's tell the story of these people's experiences and then through that i think a lot of other people will be comfortable sharing their own weird experiences and then if you have a ton of people talking about this stuff i think that's the best way to get that going but um yeah, who else do we have? Um, Dr. Bob Davis, he's like kind of like a brain scientist, but he got interested in UFOs when he had his own uh, UFO experience. Dr. Andrew Gallimore, who we just had on the Mind Escape podcast, um, he is a computational neurobiologist. Um, he's working on DMTX, which is that extended state DMT experiment that they're working on. Wow. Who else? I mean, just just tons of people. Uh, the main person in the documentary is actually one of my buddies who is a UFO experiencer from Michigan. Uh, and we share a common bond of being huge Detroit Red Wings fans. But uh, my buddy, Chris Wolford, um, he is an experiencer. And we he we came together because I actually our first documentary, Maurice and I were always planning on making a documentary. But the first one was going to be on near-death experiences. And then COVID hit. So we had to pivot. We're like, okay, what are we going to do now? We can't be flying all over the place. So we came up with this idea to have some of the people shoot their own, you know, portions of the documentary. Like I have everything set up with the questions and everything like that. They just give their answers and record it. So mm -hmm. um, he was one of the only, there's a few people that we filmed in person and he was one of the only people. Maurice went out to his grandparents' farm where he had his experience they did like a bunch of drone work. He told, talked about his experience and everything. And, wow. you know, it's pretty crazy. And I, I wanted to range too. his happened when he was like five or six. I wanted there to be ones with like, from a kid's perspective, from adults perspective, from, you know, an adult man, a, a woman, you know, I wanted all, the whole range of um, people and age and, and from their experiences and all that kind of stuff. So how long yeah. is it total? Well, <laughs> We're still cutting it down. It's still like two hours and forty minutes or something ridiculous. So wow, wow. Um, we will have it. We will have a director's cut available on our Patreon, our Mind Escape Patreon. I don't know how long that'll be, but it'll be a lot longer. Cool. Yeah, right on, man. Um, that's 
That's exciting. Um, and you really did cover such a wide range of not only demographics, but uh, people with specific interests. Um, yeah, I think uh, uh, I know I'm very excited to be a part of it. And uh, where, so you said you mentioned director's cut eventually on Patreon. Do you have any for the people who are doing deep dives um in the uh in the episode lists where this you know this is already out and about like where would they potentially find this where do you think you might have it out that's what we're working on um i don't want to say anything yet because i don't know yeah. uh at very least um there will be uh, there will be a copy uh, on our patreon for five dollars and then awesome. i think event we're trying to get it on like an amazon or a netflix i don't know if that'll come to fruition but um what i can do is maybe for your show notes if when that comes about if we you know maybe you can just update it with like a note in there or something like that but yeah good point we'll do for sure um but yeah i mean i don't i don't know man that's just the goal was to make the documentary first and then my buddy toby who works at the roswell daily record uh knows this guy who's running this expo and they're like oh yeah he wants to uh um you know premiere your your documentary so like yeah hell yeah and i know like so exciting james fox is playing his moment of contact there and stuff so there's a lot of um a lot of excitement there and you know i we could have just done something basic or something through us but you know this is for people to see experiencers and what better place than a bunch of you know ufo people that are you know and, and that's another cool thing too is i so to the Real quick, but I know you wanted to pivot, but real quick, the whole DMT thing came into play. I want to explain this. So yeah, go I, for it. I was reading True Hallucinations by Terrence McKenna, um, and they were talking about how this is like, um, what did he say? He says something like, is it a psychedelic story with a UFO sprinkled in? Or he says something along those lines. Let me see if I can find... Um, see if i can find the quote um i don't know yeah he just says like ufos were somehow tangled with dmt and psychedelics and uh from reading that i'm like that that's something that i've come across too like i i can i know about that and what's what is this weird crossover between these two fringe and esoteric topics you know like i've talked to now probably 20 people on my podcast that have either seen ufos or aliens on dmt or psychedelics so it's like that's a real thing what's happening there is that just this subconscious symbolism that we carry around with us some sort of baggage are we actually seeing this other realm um you know are we disabling our pareidolia and our our pattern recognition through these altered states you know i don't know what's going on but i want to take a better look at this and that's kind of the inspiration for that crossover yeah yeah um man it really is fascinating and it's also not much of a wonder why ufos are so often used as uh um various place markers in cult lingo as well um because it really is like a touchstone it's one of those few things like dreams or psychedelics for that matter where like you know with a dream you don't have to be like skeptical like even if you don't dream very often or remember your dreams dreams happen and even if you don't think there's any woo involved like 
I mean, just basic science shows that dreams can be very, uh, very informative. And, um, you know, with psychedelic, all you have to do is just take it and, and try for yourself. And these things are empirical and they're very like basic and scientific, but the, the implications, the more you think about it, um, can be very far reaching and, you know, just mystical for lack of better term. And, uh, yeah, the UFO is just one of those things where it's been growing for a while, but especially these days, um, you're really hard pressed to find someone that doesn't at least know someone that's seen something like weird stuff in the sky has always been around and it seems to be, yeah, it seems to be an echo of something very like deep and primal, you know, in the sense of like <clears throat> reminding us what we, you know, what we can be. Cause there's, there's something very primal about, you know, like before, uh much of society and culture as we know it like the sky was our society and culture like that's where you know those were our first deities and that's where a lot of our first stories came from and yeah and could that be us dreaming or sub subconsciously hypothesizing about the future maybe that disc is how we're going to get to other planets maybe that disc is how we get off this planet or earth and Isn't, we know it, but we can't do anything about it because we're not there yet. It's just that's the carrot that's dangling in front of us, you know, if that makes sense. That's a fascinating idea. Yeah, because it does seem like ufology. Um, it's weird because I don't discount people who individually experience these things. Um, but then when you look at the the bulk of ufology, you see that there's um, lore that mimics the output of science fiction and to me that doesn't totally discredit it but it really speaks to some sort of union nature and then you also see those charts of like you know ufo sightings in the u.s is just completely lit up and it it's speckled everywhere else and and i don't think that that entirely discredits it either i think that it shows that there's something uh you know just alchemical for lack of a better term transformative um like that is something you definitely can't argue um and i think that you know that's why it's so easy to use in cult lingo yeah just because it is kind of inescapable and it seems to be you know like people who this is what i've noticed about just the idea of the alien or the et is and i mean it's not that it's not like an incredibly astute observation, but you see it kind of um, where religious people would hang like crosses and like cool artwork around the people who are into trippy mystical type stuff, but don't have specific denominations. You often see little green men around and they seem to be this sort of unburdened or less burdened place marker for something beyond us, most certainly. And that's that's as far as I can really like safely go. I feel comfortable saying that. And beyond that, I just don't I don't really know. And like I said, there's possibility of technological aspects. But as far as I'm concerned, the way I see it, it's going to have to explain some of these uh, consciousness, you know, psychedelic esque angles. Well, they some of the crash sites uh, or a few specifically are like nicknamed 
the the gifting fields because like the meta material whatever they found is almost like a gift like here check this out this is what you, you guys can strive to to figure out something like that i don't know if i believe that but that's just you know out there um yeah i mean with the ufo thing it's weird i will say this there's there's two possibilities either um there's something going on then meets our perceptions like there's other things whirling around us aliens spirits whatever um or we are having some sort of um collective hallucination collective um psychosis collective i don't know what you want to call it some sort of jungian thing where instead of you know he talked about it as some sort of symbolism or something like that but this would be a symbolism of like you know it doesn't make sense like why there's got to be some sort of function for that right some sort of evolutionary function or and if there's not then that means it's like some sort of fl flawed error or some sort of error or mind virus or something you know maybe it's you know god or it's the next god is this alien stuff or the ufo stuff maybe if enough people catch on that becomes the new um for sure thing to believe in you know um as opposed to doing hard research i don't know yeah who knows man um in a world where people might be implanting computer chips into their brains and logging onto the internet who knows what is going to happen next uh, but uh we've talked like kind of out of the the side of our mouth about psychedelics quite a bit uh but we haven't discussed it uh particularly directly yet and i'm curious i want to pick your brain about soma and the concept of that is an umbrella term not just uh you know like the the hindu variety although definitely want to touch on that but the idea of the sacramental use of psychedelics and i'm sure almost everyone listening to this show will at least be passingly familiar with the Eleusinian mysteries and the likelihood of uh, uh, psychedelic chemicals. Um, and, um, you know, all throughout the mystery traditions in general, it's safe to say that a variety of different uh, sacramental psychedelic uh, plants and substances were used. Um, but, you know, what is Soma? Um, and, you know, what are the possibilities? I know you've spoken with a mutual friend of ours, P.D. Newman, many times. I'm going to get him on the show at some point. He uh, he wrote the book Alchemically Stoned. He gets into these different things. And he also wrote uh, Angels in Vermilion, where he makes a really strong and fascinating case for John D. and Edward Kelly um, using uh, DMT, like the actual extract DMT, like smoking it. Um, you know, to develop their Enochian system of magic. So wouldn't that be something if they were the first ones to map the, the DMT realm or create the DMT language to communicate with the entities and we're just like these, these idiots, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, <laughs> one of whom convinced um, the other to let him sleep with his wife. So, yeah, those guys were deep down their own rabbit holes. But, hey, it really, like I said, have you read that book? I bet you have. What book? Uh, Angels in Vermilion. Yeah, I have. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah it, it's a it's it makes a very he makes a very compelling case. And I don't think 
you know, just the semantics of those kinds of things are really the debatable part at this point. The fact that when you look into the mystery traditions, um, the mystery rites of antiquity and the traditions that they inspired, there's always, always, always been the carryover um, and the handing down of uh, the, the sacrament. And the sacrament is by its definition meant to be something transformative and transcendental i mean even um um you know the catholic communion um the the idea of it is meant to be uh transformational so it all just uh seems to make uh perfect sense to me but there's uh there's a lot of debate there and there's a lot of semantics to go through so i'd like to hear your thoughts on it because you've talked to a lot of different people on the subject yeah i mean so i guess i'll just start with soma for <laughs> yeah, a lot to go through <laughs> um no so i mean i look i've been fascinated with psychedelics since i was in my mid-teens um I, I grew up catholic and i never really felt any connection to anything higher god or anything like that um and just the idea of believing in one thing and everybody else is wrong just feels wrong um but that being said I always was looking for that actual mystical or spiritual experience. And I found it in my mid teens with uh, psilocybin taking psychedelic mushrooms. Um, and that was like my first real religious or spiritual experience. Um, so anyways, back to Soma. So that's kind of what got me interested in the topic from there. My cousin Maurice and I would just read Irwid, um, which is a psychedelic uh -huh. research. Classic. Um, resource i guess uh it's a site where you could check dosage and trip reports and uh pharmacology all sorts of stuff so i actually still recommend checking it out to this day uh if you're if you're interested in, in knowing about certain um compounds but anyways always fascinated with that stuff so fast forward to i don't know five six years ago i started getting into all the ancient knowledge stuff and esoteric texts and everything and you hear Soma. Soma, you know, is this ancient elixir um, drinking by the gods to obtain immortality. And you're like, wow, this sounds uh, crazy. So, you know, one of the main things about Soma is um, it's not just um, it's Soma's a uh, a drink. It's a um, there's basically a whole part of the Rig Veda dedicated to Soma and Soma is a uh, God, a drink, um, and one more thing. I can't really put my mind on it right now. Um, anyways, my point being, um, there's a lot of baggage there. But let me get into real quick before we get into actual psychedelic stuff. I think it's important to understand how, how all this came about so that you can kind of, you know, see where this is going. Yeah. Um, so you have the a lot of the stuff's predicated on, on migrations and the the way we figure things out a lot of the time is through etymology um i love academic stuff and i also love fringe stuff i try and marry the two if possible but so the indo-iranian breakoff uh these migration patterns so you have these people um who used to use the word salma or hauma and there was a, a, a cultural break off. And you have some of the people 
who migrated towards Northwest India. Those people became the people that created the Vedic culture and wrote the Vedas. Uh, and then the other part kind of migrated down and they go down into Iran um, and they create the Avesta, uh, which is Zorio, Zoroastrianism's mm-hmm. um, holy book. And um, so, yeah, and then the the uh, Avestan language, uh, which is like old Persian, I believe, the same thing. Um, so you have these. So so when they broke off, so you have Soma of the people from Northwest India. And most people don't know this, but there is an exact counterpart that is described very similarly called Homa, which is part of the Iranian Zoroastrianism culture. So it's not just Soma. There's this actual other drink called Homa, which shares a lot of the properties that were described by the people in the Vedic culture and the Rig Veda. The Rig Veda is known as the earliest religious book or work. Um, and that's, you know, for, uh, again, the, the Vedic culture, it's called the Rig Veda. I think it was, I don't know when it was um, written, but um, so anyway, so, so back to, so you have Soma and Homa. All right. And I don't want to bore people too much, but anyways. No, I think, uh, I think people listening to the show will probably find this pretty interesting. So no worries there. So you have descriptions, there's physical descriptions. And I have part three of my, what was Soma series coming out somewhat soon. Uh, part one, we had Chris Bennett, who's an author. Um, yeah. Wrote, definitely going to have him on this show at, yeah. at some point. He wrote this book called, uh, uh, cannabis, the Soma solution, I believe is the name of it or no Soma in the her cannabis in the Soma solution. That's what it's called. I think so. Yeah. And then, um, he also wrote this book called Libra 420, which is a great cannabis, um, book as well. Uh, anyways, so he's an advocate for Soma being cannabis or edible cannabis or whatever cannabis elixir. Um, and then there's this other guy who I had on part two named Matthew Clark, who wrote this book called Botanical Ecstasies, who is suggesting that Soma was some sort of, um, you know, ayahuasca, um, you know, kind of like uh, he basically said he he works off of this other guy's work, uh, Flattery, this guy. Um, and kind of works it into this thing and it becomes this whole hypothesis where he believes um, almost like it's a uh, ayahuasca analog because you have Peganum harmala, which is an MAO inhibitor. Um, and then you have Phalaris grass and Kush grass and all these types of grasses that contain DMT and 5-MEO DMT in those areas. So his hypothesis is that, so the word HOMA or the prefix su and who both mean to press or to sprinkle or to distill. Um, so this is where it gets interesting. Soma somehow gets pressed and like, you know, broken down um, and like something juice is squeezed out of something. And then it's, it's run through a animal skin and mixed with milk. Okay, so this is interesting. The milk thing's interesting to me because I don't know if there's a, a lot of alchemists actually listening, but anybody that's a cannabis alchemist knows that you need fat uh, to bind to, to make, you know, you need to de- decarb it 
the herb and then uh, mix it with a fat. So I hope there are some cannabis alchemists listening to the show. <laughs> there better be. I mean, I, I haven't <laughs> been doing it lately, but I mean, in my younger days, I definitely used to make edibles and gummies and all sorts of stuff. So I'm very mm-hmm. well aware of the process. But anyways, you need a fat for it to bind to. So the, that's where milk makes me think it's not um, an ayahuasca mixture or yeah, something very else. Curious. Um, and Chris makes, makes a good point. Like if the cannabis is traveling to in the sun and the heat, it could decarb through just that travel or drying out process. Yeah. Um, you know, but here's it the probably other thing. Would. There's, there's murals that have been found. Like these Russian archeologists found this mural that has, uh, that's connected to, um, these rituals that have like during the same time frame and cultures and everything that have two people holding a mushroom over a fire. Mm. Um, so there's people that'll speculate, you know, it was psilocybin or it was Amanita. I hate the Amanita argument because I've tried Amanita and there's no way that that could invoke the kind of things being described. But anyways, so like, uh, I'll read you just some of the, so, so anyways, back to the prefix, the Soma and the Homa. So for Soma, you have, um, here, I'll read some of the, the, this is the physical descriptions of Soma. The stalks of the plant were pressed with stones. The elixir was strained through wool and then mixed with milk and water. It is said to be a plant that grows in the Hindu Kush mountains. It was yellow and green with long stalks. I mean, does this not sound like cannabis? Yeah. It was associated with the warrior god Indra, who would drink it before battle and may become some people think it might be a stimulant too, like a Fedra. I'm not so convinced based on some of the other descriptions. Uh, other references to light and immortality, you know, suggest it's an entheogen. Um, so this is the references of Homa or Homa uh, from the Avesta. Uh, the plant has stems, roots, and branches. It's golden green. It can be pressed. It is tall. It is fragrant. It grows in the mountains, swiftly spreading. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's, that kind of sounds, okay. So here's some, some descriptions of the experience. It is physically strengthening. Uh, it furthers healing. It furthers sexual arousal. It is nourishing to the soul. Um, mildly intoxicating extract can be consumed without negative side effects. I mean, again, cannabis, that's what that sounds like to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so there, there's simula- there is some differences. So this is my conclusion. So you have the cannabis guy, you have the ayahuasca analog guy, um, and then you have other people too that say it's Fly Gehrig. I know um, Gordon Wasson, who's the father of magic mushrooms in America, meaning he went down to um, he went down to Walta, Mexico, and did you know, ceremonies with Maria Sabina. And then she was on the cover of time or was it life? I think it was life magazine. Um, famous article. Um, anyways, so he wrote a book called, um, Soma and it's about fly Gehrig or Amanita muscaria, which doesn't really make sense to me. You do need to decarb Amanita muscaria too. So you need to decarboxylate it to get rid of, well, what you're doing is you're converting the ibotanic acid into muscimol. And then that turns it into kind of like a delirium or like a, like a, um, I don't even know, like a, 
Because isn't it toxic raw? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like it has yeah, ibutanic yeah. acid, so you need to decarboxylate it. So either the cap becomes extremely dry and can crack. You can actually smoke it when it's dried out too. Some people wow. say it has an effect. It's probably one of the only mushrooms you can smoke. Um, but again, I've never. I've tried the tincture of it, and I've tried taking it. It just didn't give me that. I would say psilocybin's far more likely to produce. Um, the kind of effects that are described, you know, like obtaining immortality and communing with the gods and all this kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so is it, how far fetched is it? Yeah. That, that whole description, everything you read was strikingly similar to cannabis. And I feel like, um, if you look into, like, if we're talking archetypally speaking, there seems to be, there seems to be that need for in the spiritual tradition when it gets organized enough, and especially if there's any sort of rites of passage, that transformative quality um, seems to become a necessity. So you get whatever you know preferred psychotropic that's going to get you into that trance kind of state um, that's like indigenous to the area. So soma is specifically unique because it's it's uh, it's a touchstone um historically and like even philosophically today um uh, but um so do you think that uh, clearly there were different substances being used in this architect so you know, that, through this placeholder but could soma yeah. be multiple different things even yes. still so yeah? so here's the problem we have when you talk to when i've looked into like indian scholars and people from india and stuff like that they have a very nationalist view, almost like some of them believe that they were there, that they didn't migrate there ever. They've always been there. Um, right. So again, I don't, it's hard. It's hard. Or it would be like some Americans here thinking that they didn't come over um, on ships and take <laughs> right. land from native Americans. It's just, it's kind of the same concept anyways, mm -hmm. my point being, and it's not to disparage, but there's a lot of people that, those people are also very like anti-drug. Um, I mean, I know, I think India is kind of laxed with like hash and pot and stuff like that. I'm sure you probably get in trouble, but um, I don't know when you, whenever you hear an Indian person talk about Soma, it's always something innocuous or we, us Americans, you know, fetishize it or fantasize that it's something grander or whatever. So it's never them diving into the idea of psychedelics because I think it's personally because none of them have actually really experienced that. So, yeah, it sounds dismissive, like in the same way that uh, Egyptology is dismissive of they're clearly uh, the clearly much bigger historical scale than they're currently working. With. And I'm not trying to disparage obviously anything that any of those researchers have done or whatever, but sure. when you don't actually consider like, first of all, we have, there is physical evidence of cannabis use. There is physical evidence of opium use. There is physical evidence of ephedra use. There are physical evidences of these uses um, that date back even further than there. So to think that that culture, your culture, wasn't doing that kind of stuff is just, I mean, it's not realistic or true. And like the stigma and the war on drugs and the stigma behind drugs, that's all relatively new. Um, mm-hmm you know, in this, this world we live in now. So, 
I mean, Again. shoot, uh, we look back at the uh, just American history and the I mean, this country itself was founded on cannabis, largely the cannabis and tobacco, you know, um, yeah. staple crops, man. And and we know that, I mean, just by um, botanical design, if you're growing these things, you need to be aware of the feminization of your crop and the pollinate uh, rather the the feminine. Uh, the pollination of your crops. So like these, uh, you know, the people, uh, it's really weird that America has this like strange, like pseudo Christian anti-drug stance. That's, you know, it seems to be um, overflow from like Reagan yeah. era. And again, Nixon. I don't think, I don't even think it's just us. I think that it's almost like some sort of pendulum effect that happens where maybe True. cultures that had certain rites and rituals at some point, Maybe they saw it as damaging at another point in their culture where, you know, I don't I don't know. I'm just making speculative assertions right now. What I do know is everything that I said, where these are actual translations from these holy works, one being the Rig Veda and one being the Investa. And you can go and look up this stuff yourself. This is not something I'm making up. These are actual translations from these holy books of this plant. And to your point, could it have been other things? My personal hypothesis, hypothesis, and I know both of the people I had on to discuss this did not agree with me. I think that Soma just meant psychedelic mixed with ritual, meaning like you say the word psychedelic now and it means multiple different drugs, right? So yeah. like the this break off, this migration, you had some people going to Northwest India, you had some people going to, you know, mid to Southern Iran. There's probably, there might be some crossover plants and stuff like that. And, but maybe there's different foliage. Maybe they had to use a different compound or a different, um, you know, plant or whatever. Maybe some were doing ayahuasca analogs and other ones were doing cannabis or some were using opium, ephedra and cannabis mixtures and other ones were juice, just doing cannabis. But I guess my point is, I think that uh, Soma just meant psychedelic or psychedelic experience mixed with ritual. Like the ritual is the important thing, not necessarily the compound. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, at the risk of, or just at least keeping, um, acknowledging the possibility of being too reductionist here, um, or maybe being too open-minded and just like hodgepodging it together, I... I completely agree. And it seems like the people who would, again, not to be disparaging, but it just seems like potentially a limiting perspective. Uh, like maybe, you know, just because you found one answer doesn't mean that other things are wrong. That's what I've learned in my research, um, uh, you know, on other topics. So um, I think you know, especially when you consider like the bigger historical angle, as we've kind of described it, and 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 we look into the just the human factor. It was still the same kinds of humans, um, and like I know what I would do if if uh, if if I was using um, something like ayahuasca or something, and uh, it, it, in this time period, and or cannabis, and I didn't have one. But I knew if someone on a trade route that could get me another similar psychotropic chemical. Great um, point. Yeah, I would grab that. They talk that. about that. Some of it does get – some of it they do get from traders in the book. So Yeah, why wouldn't you? And then you, and then you just call that Soma because you're like, oh, it's basically the same thing. It's going to get you where you want. That's all you need to know. It's it's Soma. Right, and, and, and you're making my point too because 
there's going to be some varieties of some things. Like when you migrate, there's going to be areas you migrate into that will just not have the same flora as the other right. places. So, yeah, and 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 then that sort of opens the cornucopia of to the cornucopia of history of just alchemists and botanists and people fascinated with i mean just even the witches in the cauldron like it it really is not a far-fetched idea um and to me it makes the most sense because i see compelling cases for damn near all of these things although the amanita muscaria thing has always just seemed shoehorned in i've never tried it but from everything everyone i've yeah, talked to it just seems like kind of a non-factor it's a hypnotic i actually would equate it to and i've never done either of these but from people i've talked to and there's a couple of people that have confirmed it's actually kind of like blue lotus like blue lotus is a psychedelic the egyptians used it however it's not super super psychedelic it's not like eating mushrooms or taking lsd or something like that um it's got like more of a subtle effect. Um, so I would equate it to that based on my Amanita experiences was just getting drowsy. And <clears throat> I remember having vivid dreams. So maybe that's part of the, that experience. I don't know, but. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, well, my friend, we're, uh, we're, it's about that time. We're getting to the final bits here. Um, this has been some really awesome food for thought. Um, I know I've learned a bit more and and I, I'm I'm pretty sure um especially the 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 real heads, the repeat listeners, I know for a fact they're gonna really dig this one. Um what are your closing comments, man? Anything from the conversation that you'd like to put a bow on top of or just anything you'd like to plug from here? I mean, I mean just no, I appreciate you having me on and obviously you're welcome on Mind Escape anytime. You're welcome on the UFO one as well if you want to ever come chop it up about ufos i mean shane and toby you know they have different views than me but they're super open-minded as well so um. yeah i would love to sometime uh one of these days um you know i just kind of it's it's just my personality once i do something i get into the phase and then i'll do that for a nice chunk of time and then rotate out and soon here i'm going to go into a guest spot phase and you're definitely going to be one of the people i hit up first yeah, um, man, I'd, I'd love to have you on either around the release of the documentary or just after or something like that. That bet on that. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah, we'll do um, that for sure. But yeah, I mean, as far as plugging, check out Mind Escape podcast. That's my main podcast. I'm the host. My co-host Maurice is busy um, editing stuff. So I have my producer, Shane, who's also my co-host on the Roswell podcast, uh, you know, co-hosting some episodes my friend leah prime uh co-hosting some episodes uh she does a podcast called the invisible night school as well um and then yeah just having cool guests we just had p mentioned pd newman earlier we just had him on and actually i'm going to be doing one uh like an app like a podcast within a podcast with him like one episode a month called like psychedelic gnosis where we talk about all this kind of nerdy stuff that you and i were just talking about here with the awesome. soma stuff and all that um yeah so just mind escape podcast we have a link tree follow me on twitter it's at mike escape um i'm on twitter mostly but we have all the podcast we have all the platforms we're on everything um yeah i mean our main thing if you want to check us out on youtube please subscribe to our youtube channel we do all our shows live there um we're also on spotify we have video episodes on spotify and we are on apple 
all of them, all the podcast platforms. But uh, yeah, check out that and then check out the Roswell UFO Symposium, which is my other uh, podcast. We're heating up on there. Um, we had um, James Fox last week, who was the uh, filmmaker of the Phenomenon UFO documentary. And then oh, he wow. also just made Moment of Contact. And then a couple of days ago, we just had this guy, John Burroughs, on who was one of the experiencers from the rendlesham forest incident which is one of the most famous wow. ufo um, cases and he had physical um, effects that were like life-threatening that john mccain had to unclassify his medical records so he could get help which is wow. crazy wow um, so yeah so there's some interesting shit on there um but yeah so th- those are the main two things and then we have the documentary coming out you can check out the trailer for that on our youtube channel but it's as within so without from ufos to dmt uh your host anthony's in and he kills it on there uh <laughs> Thanks, Mar- martin freddie i think most of you know he's in there and then yeah a lot of the other people i mentioned earlier and probably some new faces for some people but i think that's a good thing i wanted to give uh get some fresh faces out there i'm sick of seeing the same people on all the ufo shit so. <laughs> yeah 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 um well especially with this uh documentary on the horizon here we will definitely be chopping it up more on air soon so thank you so much man i'm glad to finally get you on the show and it's cool to interview you for a change it's been a real pleasure yeah man it feels weird on my end i don't do many (laughs) many podcast interviews but i appreciate you asking me and i'm happy to do it whenever and uh yeah i I listened to a few episodes of your show and just really proud of what you're doing and uh yeah man just keep doing it that's the secret is just keep doing it it'll evolve and you'll find your your exact rhythm and everything so um yeah thank you very much man um and yeah to to all the listeners out there definitely go check out um the mind escape podcast um and all these things that these gents are doing uh these guys among others like you know miguel over at aeon bite gnostic radio um when first coming out you know uh you know dive manual a fresh release uh just really cold calling people asking about potential chats and sending books and you know people like mike and miguel um not only ended up having conversations with me and becoming friends but they even read the books and had insightful things to say and yeah you know in the end like um i've made a lot of good friends uh doing having these kinds of conversations and doing these things and and uh mike you're definitely at the top of my list there buddy um thanks again for coming on we'll have you back on real soon man yeah i appreciate it man and it's again i'm just you're 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 an old soul and you're very young to have the kind of knowledge that you do so just keep doing what you're doing and uh look forward to your next project thank you man and don't forget folks this is black hoodie alchemy i'm anthony tyler here with mike mazzy and um i'll see you next week take it easy and now if you don't think that I'm shot first And chances are you won't understand a liberator verse huh? And now if you don't like Ricard and Kurt Then chances are you won't understand a liberator's work yeah? And now if you don't think that I'm shot first And chances are you won't understand a liberator verse huh? And now if you don't like Picard and Kurt Then chances are you won't understand how liberators work yeah? <laughs> Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Work, huh?